Welcome to Art Dad Doesn't Like. I'm Lizzie. And I'm me. And this is a podcast where Dad and I discuss works of contemporary art together, much to Dad's sometimes chagrin. Yeah, but um, this week seems very interesting, so I'm willing to dip my toe in the water of contemporary art and let's see how I react. Well, I thought I would target something towards uh, the generation that you find yourself in because <laughs> this week's work is called Old People's Home. It was made in 2007 by two Chinese artists, Sun Yuan and Peng Yu. Okay, so there we are. We kick off straight away with ageism. <laughs> I would have thought that being a more progressive and well-educated person, you wouldn't engage in that sort of thing. And maybe the failing is mine in, in the way we brought you up. I don't know. Maybe, but I, I mean, I don't really think you can criticize me too much because I'm still willing to be here and engage in this intergenerational exchange. Well, that's true, yeah. No matter how condescending you may be, I suppose I should be grateful. <laughs> uh, would you like to describe this week's work? Yeah, so it's it's interesting. It's um, life-size um, dolls of elderly people who are um, dressed in different costumes and represent, and in many cases you can see a likeness to former world leaders and they're um, in wheelchairs, and the wheelchairs are within an enclosed uh, space and move randomly uh, towards each other and sometimes collide. And all the figures are either asleep or in a daze or um, seemingly you know, with vacant expressions on their faces. So these are leaders of the past and and they are depicted as being decrepit yeah so all of the the wheelchairs are all electric they each have a large battery which has to be charged overnight and i read in one article by a museum conservator that they would have this problem of some of them the battery running out in the middle of the day and the sculpture looking seemingly dejected in a corner because it had <laughs> <laughs> the wheelchair had rolled over there and then stopped. Um, but as you say, some of them, some of the characters shown are more easily identifiable than others. Like Muammar Gaddafi is more identifiable than others, and Castro as well. I read in some articles that Yasser Arafat and Brezhnev are also among the figures shown, but I I don't know. I am in a way confused about this work because some of the all of the characters, if we can use that word, shown, have in their costume, you know, they're all in suits or military clothes or religious clothes. They do look like the clothing of people that you would encounter at the UN or some international gathering, but not all of them are actually so easily identifiable. No, uh, one other one that I thought I identified was Archbishop Macarius who was the president of Cyprus in the 60s and 70s. But yes, they are pretty generic. I, I, I think you can say they are meant to be of a type of world leader without necessarily all being identifiable as individuals. And it struck me when that was done that perhaps the artists um, who are in Hong Kong um, didn't want to directly depict particular world leaders, perhaps for fear of commenting on persons with whom China has or had 
foreign relations. So, but clearly we're, we're talking about a, a powerful people, people dressed as world leaders, and, and it often isn't much of a stretch of the imagination to uh, work out who they are in the state of dejection, um, lack of physical capacity and powerlessness. Yeah, I mean, some of them look quite, even if they are awake, apathetic, I guess. And this way that they cross each other's paths without actually interacting, you know, it's just the machine, the machines, the wheelchairs bumping against each other in this sort of illogical collision course. They're like bumper cars, which seems ridiculous. And it gives this idea that these world leaders are asleep at the wheel. But from that, circling back to what you were saying about, you know, could this be a comment on China's international relations, foreign relations? To me, this, and I've seen this written elsewhere, uh, this work could also be seen as more of an indictment of the West or institutions like the United Nations. I mean, that's been written by other critics of this work questioning the efficacy of international institutions where you have these gatherings where all of these international actors come together but there isn't actually any true interaction or action on issues yeah so i i I suppose you could say that it um represents a comment on the lack of efficacy of interaction between um the powerful and it's also a perhaps it's a reminder that everyone no matter how powerful is going to end up being very old and lacking the capacity that they um were previously wielded the power they previously wielded rather so Mm -hmm. it's um it's also i suppose uh is it a comment on the vanity of power that all power is fleeting and that um, at the end of the day they're going to be, I mean, to use a very harsh word, discarded when their utility has has expired? I think I, I find, the again, the discussion about power in this piece also not necessarily, not necessarily confusing in a bad way, but a bit intricate because if you look at some of these figures and the archetype of say a dictator more generally I mean many of them continue to wield power until they die or well into their old age before they decide to give up power and I feel conflicted about how to read this work whether they are devoid of power or wielding power despite their apparent old age, because some of them are holding objects like landmines or scissors or a whip, a mix of, you know, military weapons and sort of banal objects that can be used to attack someone. I'm not sure whether the comment could also be not only what you said, but also to critique who is allowed to wield power until when i guess the idea of whether there comes a time when not necessarily because of senility or some kind of problem that may arise with old age but how institutions can allow people to wield 
power when they aren't the best suited person for that time. Yes, I think, you know, often in world history, and there's there's, uh, two examples I can think of from Southern Africa, and the first is um, the president of Malawi, who was a man named Dr. Hastings Banda, and he had led the independence struggle against Britain and then ended up being president for life, and he ruled well into his 90s. The other example is um, the infamous Robert Mugabe, who clung to power. I can't remember what age he was. He was certainly must have been in his late 80s um, when he was deposed and then died shortly thereafter. I think sometimes people have been around for so long that although they're no longer competent, the people around them just don't know what to do when you know, in anticipation of the day that the person dies. And so they do nothing. They just let the situation roll on because the future without this person is unimaginable and will cause a whole lot of internal divisions. And that certainly happened in Zimbabwe between two factions mm. within the ruling PF party. And one essentially grabbed the reign of powers, reigns of power from the other um, for divisions like that to erupt. But then there can be happier examples of long-lived rulers. There was a doge of Venice who ruled until he, he, in his 90s, and he actually participated in a naval battle when he was old, blind, and sitting in a chair just to show that he still had the courage to do that. Mm. Uh, yeah, so people can hang on for, for differing reasons. Yeah, I guess in the, the first example that you were well, the first situation in terms of Mugabe being the example, there's this fear of the power vacuum that's going to arise after such a figure's death, but that means that such a person who is nominally in power can become the puppet of these factions around them as they're trying to yeah. set themselves up to avoid that power vacuum. And in that way such a person becomes the victim of the, I mean, I don't like talking about Mugabe as a victim because he was an awful person, but the victim of the factors that surround them, the environment, the people, and in that way, sort of at the mercy of, at the mercy of their environment in the same way that these sculptures are at the mercy of the electric wheelchairs that they sit in. Yes, I agree with that. And it appears to me that maybe these artists are deriding the people that they have made dolls of because of their senility and incapacity. And I wondered whether or not the artwork should be condemned on the ground that you shouldn't um, deride people simply because of their age. Well, first of all, in case you're trying to get some to one-up me here somehow, are you now admitting that you're old, because normally you push back and say that you're still in the spring of your life. But I'm if- not admitting that, that I'm old. I'm, I'm not commenting one way or the other on whether <laughs> I am old. And even if I were, which I'm not, even <laughs> if I were, then I would hope that I wouldn't be derided for that reason. So let's not bring me into this whole artwork. Mm-hmm. I'm not one of these wheelchair people. <laughs> 
I think, don't you worry, there are many reasons to deride you. There will always be a reason. Um, Yeah, I also have asked myself the same question because I think if these figures were anyone other than international figures, dictators, world leaders, freedom fighters, whatever, we would feel sorry for them because the way that they're depicted as at the mercy of their environment, sort of physically there but not mentally engaging with their environment, it's very sad. It's a very depressing depiction of old age as just showing these people as decrepit and no longer able to engage with society. And it also makes them look ridiculous in the way that they're sort of rolling around in these wheelchairs as if they're bumper cars. So I don't really know what to make of that because I think if it were anyone else, one would feel terrible for these figures if they were just ordinary people. But of course, even world leaders are ordinary people. But I think old age is often weaponized against them. I mean, regardless of what one thinks of, say, to take another current example of Joe Biden and whether or not the comments or criticisms launched against him about his old age are valid or not, it's undoubtable that his age is being weaponized against him. And I don't think that we would openly weaponize age against people in everyday life, in such an open way, in just ordinary circumstances. I don't doubt that autism exists, say, in the world of work, but I don't think it's as openly done as it is when it comes to world leaders. Yes, I suppose, though, to take a position against the one I've just enunciated, you could argue that world leaders, because they're in positions of enormous power, need to step back if they're no longer competent. So that that's one thing. There is actually a duty on them to for the public good not to retain power when their faculties are diminished. And the other thing that has just occurred to me in considering these people is that at least some of them are, as you've said, depicted holding implements of violence like a landmine or a whip. And some of them have engaged in, you know, some of them are military costume. Um, some of them, have arguably, if if you align them with real individuals, have engaged in um, violence and and or terrorism. And yet, there's a tendency when people become very old, and that this has been seen not just among world leaders, but also among. Um, war criminals that suddenly they get to a point where they deem to be so old that there Mm. isn't a point in prosecuting them or holding them to account. So old age becomes a sort of shell uh, for avoiding accountability. I know that in some countries, and Germany is a good example, people are pursued even when they are very old, subject to the capacity to understand the proceedings against them. But often, you know, it's, it's almost like a pass. Oh, they're old now. So just let them retire. And perhaps what this work is doing is saying, well, you know, um, 
maybe this is your just desserts if you've abused your power to end up like this. Yeah, well, I'm, I shudder to think what you think you can get away with as you age. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good point. And maybe in addition to that showing, we all end up in the same place and we should all therefore be held accountable in the same way. And looping back to what we were talking about before with international institutions, where all of these world leaders meet, but which are often ineffective. I, mean, I think this work also asks if international figures can truly be kept accountable by the international community or whether in the end, the only sure way of keeping them accountable is, you know, the ultimate reckoning of death. Yeah, I think that, you know, there's this huge benefit to be gained from incumbency in office. And once someone's in office, particularly if they're in an undemocratic system, it's almost impossible to get them out. So I think the point you make about accountability is is true. And so, you know, you could you could read this as saying you thought you were powerful, you thought you were beyond um, the reach of justice. But nature has got you in the end, and this is where you've ended up, a, a person incapacitated and not even able to move under your own power, relying on battery power instead. Yeah, I think it's, I think that the analysis one can pull out of this work is very interesting. However, you know, it gets into this tricky area because I think that for, say, visitors to a gallery where this work is on show who are elderly and do rely on this kind of support or who, for whatever other reason, rely on, say, a wheelchair, it could be quite confronting because I do think that in some lenses or through some lines of analysis, the artists are using that as a weapon of ridicule. Yeah. And I think that that makes the work could be very upsetting for some yeah. viewers. And there are obviously other ways of executing the work that could avoid that. Um, but that gets into, a, I guess, a question that maybe we can discuss in another episode of how, to what degree the artist needs to respect the viewer or the audience, yes. their emotions into account. Yeah, I mean, I felt very disrespected by some of the horrible art that you confronted me with. But looking specifically at this, I mean, maybe there needs to be a trigger warning at the front of the gallery, just like, you know, for children, you know, this is not suitable for them to see and align with a little outline figure with a walking stick and a red line through it so that older people don't go in there. So, well, then you wouldn't have to be confronted by this work, Dad, so you should be happy. You got the outcome you wanted. Speaking of, I mean, I live in Berlin, and as I've said before, you see all sorts of things just out on the street here. But I was at an art gallery here once, photography gallery, and out the front of one of the gallery rooms was a sign saying, uh, you know, be warned, there is nudity 
you know, in this exhibition. And I thought, you know, because in art galleries you see all kinds of nudity just on display without yeah. that kind of warning. I went in, it was the most banal sort of nude photography. Yeah. And yeah, I think that this is a topic that we'll have to put down for a future podcast yeah. episode of to what degree you need to take into account the um, sensitivities or emotions of your audience. Uh, on a final note about this work, as I said, it was made in 2007. Do you think much has changed since then about the way we think of leaders or their the inevitability or not of their positions in power? Because, for example, since then, the Arab Spring has occurred. Yes, oh, I mean, there have been huge convulsions in the world since 2007. One thing that did strike me, though, is that for many people um, who are, um, you know, not of a generation that remembers these figures on the world stage, the impact will be lost because they won't know who's being adverted to. Um, not that that's the reason I remember them. It's just because I've read a lot of world politics. So <laughs> I've seen photographs of them. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, I I think that the whether in some cases it's due to not being familiar with these figures or perhaps the execution of some of these particular sculptures, the fact that they aren't all very quickly identifiable, I think weakens the power of the work a bit. I think it would be interesting to see an updated version, say, with more, I guess, current figures. I think it would speak maybe then to a wider audience. Um, yeah, and you could try and set up crashes between the Zelensky one and the Putin one. <laughs> Although Putin, I mean, is scarily fit and uh, yeah, no. able to. I mean, how old is Putin as well? Um, certainly in his late sixties, I think. Yeah, uh, maybe even early seventies. I'm not sure, but I mean, he does all these things like riding horses with his shirt off and finding um treasures by diving in the black sea um and hunting with eagles and things like that so yeah he's unfortunately fit yeah he's 71 but maybe in the middle of um other world leaders in a setup like this you could have him standing there in his judo outfit on a horse with an eagle the whole and show what the alternative is uh what do you think of this work in all do you like it do you not like it no i do like it because i think it's it's a interesting vehicle for political commentary and it's a very novel idea and uh it's very well executed you know leaving the batteries running out aside <laughs> the the figures are clothed in suitable costumes so yeah no, i think it's a it's a good piece of work and do you have any advice for us, except maybe for keeping up a fitness regime like you do, so that you remain vital into your old age? Yeah, well, immediately I saw this. I had a flashback to um, <laughs> one of our visits to the Canberra show, and they would always have Dodgem cars. Yeah. And I, you know, you were quite ruthless in your use of your Dodgem car. You know, I'd say to you look, don't bump hard because it can, you know, jar people and 
injure their necks and this, that, and the other. But by gosh, Vera, when you were driving and I was driving, you'd have no compunction at all into ramming me with the most, you know, the greatest speed that you could. And I was actually quite terrified. I used to spend most of my time desperately trying to avoid you. So the motto is, don't get into a dungeon car pit with your offspring. <laughs> well, this is really links back well to this conversation. Fear the next generation. You don't know what they're going to inflict yeah. on you. Uh, well, thank you, everyone, for joining us for this episode of Art Dad Doesn't Like. As always, you can find us on Instagram at artdadpod. And we look forward to you joining us again next week or next episode for another discussion. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.